Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Advice Show. I'm Zach, a reporter at New Model Advisor. And I'm Alicia, also a reporter at New Model Advisor. And today we're talking about retirement income and how changes in regulation could affect financial advisors. We're joined today by Stephen Lowe, Group Communications Director at Retirement Specialist Just Group. Stephen, how are you? Isaac, good to see you again. Yeah, great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. So getting straight into it, um, we'd like to talk about the FCA's thematic review of retirement income advice. Um, you know, I understand firms have now been contacted as the review begins, um, and the aim is to ensure the, that the advice is suitable and that consumer needs are understood. But before we get onto the review itself, could you just please explain what you're seeing from consumers and if they've changed in terms of what retirement products they want and what services they want? Well, it's a bit of a turn of phrase Zach, but um risk looks different when you're taking retirement income and you know all those advisors that are listening to the pod today will uh, recognize that so it's always been different um for people that are in the what i call the spending phase as opposed to the saving phase but i guess what we're going to potentially see through the thematic review is probably a spotlight shining much more deeply on that in fact we were talking before uh, we came in to do the pod around the the news about the British um, Steel Pension Scheme and the impact on defined benefit. And, you know, it's a, it's, what do we call it? A disappointing journey for everyone that's been involved in that situation. Yeah. And we'd all like to um, put, you know, a strong line under it. But I don't think we're going to be able to walk away from it quite as quickly as perhaps we would like because there's a legacy or lessons that have been learned from that, which I think we're going to see appear in that thematic review of advice that the FCA are doing. Um, so, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into that. Across yeah, the uh, of course. I mean, you know, just just briefly on that, um, I understand that the latest news is that um, the British Steel Advisor Group, um, who were uh, presenting a legal challenge to the FCA, have withdrawn that. Um, so, yes, putting a line under it, as, as you would say, would be the would be the ideal outcome. Um, can you preempt what lessons you think the industry has learned from it? Uh, before this review comes into effect well just just for the avoidance of doubt and just for authenticity is like you know we we provide defined benefit transfer advice and we continue to do so and in fact we're helping lots of financial advisors now that um would offer a referral where they have a client where they they think there's a genuine need so um i'm not doing a naysaying on db transfer advice but um I guess the themes that are likely to emerge, I mean, who knows? Should, should we first of all just say, what have the FCA told us about this thematic review? Should we start there? So firstly, um, they've told us that, as you say, they're out in the field collecting data. I'm sure there are many advisors on the pod, listening to the pod that have had questionnaires from the Financial Conduct Authority. As we understand it, quite detailed um, data gathering. And once that's completed, then the FCA will do their analysis. And they've said to the industry that they will complete their analysis and publish their findings before the end of 2023. Now, who knows what those findings are going to be? But we've seen thematic reviews from the FCA before, and they can go on for many years. So uh, as you'll know, the FCA, if they want to pr promote rule changes, need to consult offer guidance, yeah. issue policy statements. So we don't really know what that's going to um, lead to. But th these these are my kind of predictions on what the themes might be. And then we can decide you know, where you want to discuss, um, um, Zach. So the first one is, I suspect there'll be a strong focus on um, 
the way that risk is assessed, whether that be attitude to risk or capacity for loss, that feels like an obvious area. Another one might be the investment solutions that advisors are using for clients who are either approaching or in yeah. retirement. You know, the withdrawal strategy and the stress testing, personalization of advice, uh, the importance of the annual or what's often called the periodic review, how target markets are defined, the scope of services. So looking at the nature of the business model, charges, be very surprised if that doesn't come up. And then an important one, how are service providers selected? So whether that's a cash flow modeler, whether that's a attitude to risk provider or indeed a platform, you know, what's the due diligence? How do you select those? So some of those appeared out the DB transfer review. And I'd be very surprised if we don't see some of those appearing in the thematic. Yeah, thank you. That's a really detailed explanation. Um, and I was going to ask um, with that question of suitability, um, whether you believe that this review um, will check uh, advisors practices to ensure that they're doing what they should have been doing anyway or whether you think there are problems active problems that will be solved by an investigation a review like this rather well i think uh, lots of people have predicted that this review has come about in fact it's some years overdue mm. um, if you remember we had we had something called addressing suitability too which was then paused because the FCA were focusing on post-COVID type um, issues. So we, this has been a long time coming. And we think it's in response to the freedoms that were given post-pension freedom and reform. So um, I suspect there'll be some tightening of the rules. Zach. I think there might be some new practices. Um, so let's pick one and unpack that for a moment. So I, I said in my opening that risk looks different when you're taking a retirement income. Why don't we start with risk? So attitude to risk. Um, for the advisors listening to this pod, the majority of advisors um, use an attitude to risk type questionnaire that tends to focus on what I would call the saver, the accumulator. It tends to focus on um, the risks around capital rather than income. Mm. We suspect that the FCA will start to ask questions about the you know, legitimacy of that kind of approach and should it be more fine-tuned towards managing income volatility as opposed to capital volatility. So we think that's probably an area where the attitude to risk will be potentially considered and importantly linked to that, um, how an advisor assesses capacity for loss, but in this case, capacity of losing income as opposed to capital. Now, advisors rely upon the services of external vendors to provide those kind of services, and often they sit outside of the regulatory perimeter. Yeah. So it'd be interesting how the FCA's review and, and what it involves. And what it involves. So I think there are probably two areas where if you think that taking income is different to accumulating, that feels like an obvious area for the FCA to go to. I think another thing that you mentioned was the pension freedom reforms. Um, and the FCA mentioned that a big change since 2015 is the shift towards drawdowns. So could you elaborate a bit more for, for the audience on the complexities of drawdowns and the complexities of giving advice around this? Yeah, it is a complex area. And <clears throat> we saw back to the DB review how the FCA's new requirements for delivering DB transfer advice um, create a slightly more robust advice processes 
when assessing somebody's um, sustainability of income, their, their demand for certain income to support different classes of expenditure. And of course, when a financial advisor is assessing the client's sustainability of income, they have to, first of all, assess the client's attitude to risk, but importantly, assess their capacity for loss and then stress test the portfolio. And I think it's that stress testing of the portfolio that we might see the FCA raise a few questions on. Mm. So let, let me give you an example, bring it to life. Um, there's quite a lot of variability in the methodologies or the techniques that are used to reach that conclusion, stress testing the drawdown SIP portfolio. So I might walk into advisor office A, and they might use a, a technique using a deterministic modeling approach. I might walk next door into advisor B, and they might use a stochastic approach to stress testing the portfolio and the client's um, income. And they might use a, or oh, let's call it a 90% probability of success. I walk into advisor C, they also use the stochastic approach, but they use a much stronger success rate of maybe 95, 99%. Yeah. And therefore, there's a lot of variability. So you might see the FCA starting to question whether all that variability is appropriate and indeed whether or not that should be um, governed in a slightly different way. Who knows? But that, that would be my, um, my suspicion. And what is the, sorry, around stress testing specifically, is there a lot of specific guidance around it now or is it quite broad? It's quite broad. So, um, you know, advisors have to do the right thing, have to make the right judgments when they're deciding whether to use a um, an external vendor, they need to do their own due diligence. You know, it's possible that an advisor could construct their own spreadsheets, but they then have to justify the economic scenarios yeah. that form part of that. So there is quite a lot of variability. Um, there is a concentration. There are quite a lot of um, service providers that you know support uh, wide numbers of advisors in the market, but it feels like an area where that entrepreneurialism or that variability might get some attention. And Stephen, I just wanted to ask you as well um, whether you think this will have any impact on, you know, uh, personalised reviews um, for people seeking pension advice as well and annual reviews as well on top of that. It's a good prompt, actually, Zach, because um, when the FCA did a review uh, a few years ago, they looked at the way that advice was delivered in the equity release sector. And one of the things they identified was that, I think they used the word advice needed to be delivered more personally. And I think what they meant was they'd observed some advisors, not all, some, that were probably order taking and not challenging their client enough. And so I think they termed this phrase personalization of advice. So it wouldn't surprise me if when they do their data collection, their review, they look at personalization of, of advice. And I think probably what that means is when you look at the advisor's fundamental um, model, their scope of services or their centralized retirement propositions, the FCA will be looking out for is an advisor taking a client through the same journey and delivering the same outcome for a great majority of their clients. That wouldn't feel like a personalized um, personalized focus. So it's, it's the know your client regime, really. And so I guess they'll be looking out for that, ensuring that retirement income advice is being delivered to meet the very, very specific 
requirements and goals of the client. And I suppose that would also um, impact firms more that have different cohorts of clients, because, of course, if they're getting the same advice, then maybe that doesn't necessarily tally up um, with, you know, each client getting suitable uh, advice. That's right. Um, we're seeing through consumer duty, aren't we, that being very, very clear on your target market or your negative target market um, is a really important factor. And that's always been true for the IFA practice, segmenting their clients, being clear about what their proposition is. <clears throat> but it's a good, actually, you've just prompted me another thought, like that the, 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 the annual review or the periodic review is, is an area that probably will come under greater scrutiny. Because when advice has been delivered for the retirement income strategy, <clears throat> then it may not hold stable or true. Um, because many clients maybe have a 30, 30 year plus strategy. So the periodic review to update the research, refine the analysis, update the advice, change the investment solution. Mm. They're all really important factors when you're doing a periodic review. So we could probably expect to see more focus on that. And of course, what's being charged for it. Yeah. So I think moving on from this slightly, um, we wanted to talk a bit about the the removal of the pension lifetime allowance in the spring budget. Um, how have advisors' reaction been to this and how do you think it makes advisors' job easier? I'm not sure it makes it easier. I think there's been a lot of celebration about the, well, yet to be fully confirmed removal of the lifetime allowance because, of course, we were awaiting legislation to come through to finalise it. But, of course, we all saw what happened 24 hours after Budget 23 was announced in that the Labour shadow chancellor said very quickly that they would reverse those changes. So I think that probably makes it quite challenging for the advisor. So um, there were lots of really good initiatives. So the removal of the money purchase annual allowance was fantastic. I think everyone can celebrate that and likely to see that reverse. But the lifetime allowance, we've seen some further clarity come out about protections of tax-free cash. So those things are helpful, but yeah, the elephant in the room is, is it likely to be reversed and could it be reversed in a way that then damages clients? And that's the nervousness, I think. It's so very early since the announcement was made, we probably need a little bit more time to reflect. I think that's exactly what we wanted to ask about, that there's been this concern, especially with the political uncertainty, that there could be a reversal. And from your opinion, from your point of view, how likely is a reversal? And if there is going to be a reversal, do you think there's a window of opportunity that people should be using? That's such a big question that has no credible answer to it. Uh, I guess what we need to take responsibility to do is to push the Labour Party to give some clarity. Um, they're unlikely to do so because they're not in government, but I think they've created an incredible amount of uncertainty in the market. So it's only right that we should be asking the question to clarify what they meant by that and to ask them to qualify it because it could be an opportunity as you, you're trying to tease me with, um, <laughs> but nobody would be prepared, I think at this point, without greater scrutiny of what Labour have said to understand whether or not that could be a retrospective problem that could emerge. <clears throat> My own prediction, what it's worth is I think it very unlikely that the Labour Party would 
put in place a retrospective change. They might say from this point on, this is what we're going to do. And we might expect some kind of protection regime like we've experienced mm -hmm. previously. It would seem pretty harsh to do a retrospective change. Mm -hmm. And the, the reasoning behind the Labour government speaking out against the LTA is uh, they had a spokesperson calling it a gilded giveaway and suggested that it would be a way for wealthier individuals to create loopholes, for example, for inheritance tax. What are your what are your thoughts on this? And do you think it's a inaccurate representation? Well, certainly people that have got pension pots which are in excess of a million pounds are in a privileged position. <clears throat> but I think the Labour Party might be surprised how many what they may call normal Middle Britain people um, are in that segment in that category. But you raise a really important point, which is one which is being debated quite strongly. You know, the purpose of pension was to provide pension income to help people through their retirement. And this idea that pensions should be used as some kind of inheritance tax vehicle or loophole, I think will entertain greater debate. And I would be very surprised over the next parliament or two that we wouldn't see some kind of change or modification to that. It does seem a bit crazy that you can stash away millions of pounds and then pass it on tax-free and i think there's lots of sympathy for some kind of change or reform mm. that's not really why pensions were invented yeah um and and sort of um on the political aspect of it that we've just touched on as well there was much talk about um you know doctors in the nhs facing pension tax penalties prior to this abolition that um that it, it's claimed that this will solve that problem um, do, how much weight do you give that and do you think this will keep more doctors at work? Well, technically, it provides a solution to protect some of those doctors from receiving you know, the, the, the lifetime allowance charge. I think that, that's a fact. Um, I've no idea whether or not it will keep more doctors um, working. The doctors that have sufficient income and have decided to walk away from their profession takes a lot to bring somebody back but who knows Zach, it's not really my subject matter expertise i'm afraid but yeah i mean the you know the solution has been described as a sledgehammer to crack a nut but i think i heard john glenn say during an interview that the government were worried that there may be legal challenges if they just put in place a solution just for the doctors um, and segmented that group from other other um, other schemes that may have similar needs, um, and there's also been talk about you know um, uh, increasing the state pension age, and that pro that procedure seems to be delayed. How do you think this will impact advice that advisors are giving to clients um, with the raising of the age? Well, we've seen a temporary deferment, haven't we, of um, an increase? It feels like it's only going one way. Um, so I'm a 67 entitled pension. I suspect my kids will be a 70 something entitled pension. We've clearly seen a slight dislocation in what we'll call the normal pattern of deaths in the UK, partly driven by COVID and the after effects of COVID. But we probably expect to see some kind of reversion to the norm. Um, although life 
expectancy or the improvement in life expectancy has been slowing um, over time. Still the increasing and improving, but it's been slowing. So with that backdrop, you'd expect to continue to see the state pension age increasing over time. Maybe not as quickly as some people might predict, but you'd expect to see it being modified. So that has big implications for advisors that are delivering financial plans. And I might say for those people that don't benefit from the great services of an advisor, puts them in an even more precarious position because they've got to bridge that gap and they don't get an awful lot of help and support in how to do that. I mean, there's obviously a lot of ways in which increasing the pension age so consistently, as you said, your children will ha would have a different uh, expectation for how long they should be working, how long they should be saving. So how do you think that this consistent increase in the state pension age affects consumers' attitude to saving overall, maybe also to saving outside of their pensions? It's a good, it's a good point that um, I always think of pensions as having special powers. Um, it's a really special kind of savings account, um, as we all know, because of the benefits that arise from it, um, both on the way in and the way out. So I hope that we don't lose the specialness of pensions and that they continue to be seen as a very important long-term savings product. But I think you're right. There are there are there are implications for pensions constantly being in the media and not always being in the media for a positive reason. But the government at least have always committed to making changes by giving people sufficient notice. Yeah. So perhaps for my kids, they won't know anything other than pensions arrive at age 70 and therefore that's just their norm. My norm is different because you know I was born a long time ago. Um, and for you two young people that sat opposite me, then you know, you'll have a different expectation too. So I guess as long as you know what the rules are, and what your expectations are and that they're managed, then I think there's no reason why pensions shouldn't continue to have a really important place in people's portfolios. That seems like a great note to end on, Stephen. Um, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Good to be good to be with you both today. And is there anywhere that we can find you online? or You can find, find me online at Twitter um, and on LinkedIn and all good social media channels. Great stuff. You've been listening to The Advice Show with myself, fellow reporter Alicia Hagopian, uh, and Group Communications Director at Just Group, Stephen Lowe. For any questions, please feel free to tweet us at New Model Advisor or email us at nmateam at citywide.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.